Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your, Your Angry, Angry Neighborhood, Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist Anniversary Episode! Anniversary Edition! Happy Anniversary! Happy Anniversary! Yeah, why isn't there an anniversary song? I isn't feel like there should be one. one. Happy Anniversary! Is it? Happy Anniversary! Happy Anniversary! Happy Anniversary! I think you made that up, but I'll, I'll go I with it. I will go with that. Um, <laughs> if you are just Fine. tuning in for the first time a year into our podcast... What have you been doing the past year? But also, hello. Hi. Welcome. Um, <laughs> this is a podcast that explores the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. perspectives. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is crazy. We I have know. champagne. Yeah, we're sipping sipping some bubbly we're here. We're sipping bubbly. And we are going to answer your questions today. So <gasps> if this is your first episode, this is not a usual episode. No. We don't usually just sit here and kind of like shoot the shit with you guys. Uh, not quite this way. Yeah, I was so, going to say, there's, there's shooting of shit in a different there, way. There is definitely, but this one's just going to be laid back. We got your questions. We got a lot of really awesome we ones. We didn't really have to do much work. It's great. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you, though. Answering some of these was, like, difficult for yeah, me. Yeah, so, there were some really, really good questions that had to, that made me think a little bit. So. Yeah, ditto. All good stuff. So, should I kick us off with the yes, first question? Yes, yes, kick us off. All right, so... This is from Jody. Our first little group of questions are from Jody. She says, What was your biggest light bulb moment when it came to explaining feminism slash equality? To put that into context, mine was while listening to your appropriation episode and how you explained that the balance of power is the differentiating factor as to whether something is racist or sexist, etc. That helped me explain a number of things to people, so thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, what did you say for that? What's your answer? Um, my answer is kind of complicated because I don't know that I actually had a light bulb moment. I don't think I did either. About feminism. I do think it kind of came to me when I started deconstructing a lot of what I was raised to believe in terms of my religious beliefs uh-huh. and kind of... We talked about this in our last mini episode, but kind of like the shame that's entangled in sexuality and modesty and how the onus is very constantly put on the woman for being bad and shaming in that kind of way. And so when I kind of grew out of that a little bit, the logical step for me and the kind of comfortable place for me to go was into a more feminist mindset. Right. So for me, the way that I kind of read this question was more of like how I explain it to people, like a light bulb moment for me to kind of educate other people. Sure. And for those people who don't understand what feminism is, I usually tell them that like a feminist is someone who agrees that women and men should be treated equally. That's kind of the dumbest way that you can explain it, like dumbing it down all the way. To take it further, I explain that we also fight for the rights of LGBTQ plus community and minorities and basically anybody who needs a voice. Uh, I feel like it's a job as feminists to give them a voice. Yeah. So. Very good question. Okay, so the second question here from Jody, Also a good question. She's kind of a hard hitter here. She really is. Um, to carry on from the question of sex work being made legal, this question has been discussed a lot by UK's Women's Equality Party, of which I'm a member. Should a man ever have the right to buy a woman's body for his own pleasure? So... The wording for that was really jarring for me. So I kind of started off by saying, I don't think that any woman should feel that they are owned by another man. 
with that being said, I feel like a lot of people, if it is your choice to be in sex work, I don't think that a lot of women who work in sex work feel that they are being owned or bought, but it's their choice. It's their job. You know what I mean? I feel like it's their mindset of how they go about it. I do think that sex work should be legal. Um, I feel like it's going to help those who are, who work in sex work to be safer. And as long as it's their choice, it's something that empowers them, more power to them. Yes. So um, when I read this question, I already had an answer in my mind, which I will give in just a second. But I actually have a friend who works in sex work. And my phone was being absolute garbage when I texted her asking about this. So she apparently wrote me back, but I didn't get the message. So I asked her again today and she didn't have time. So she sent me this quick voice memo uh, that I'm going to play for you guys. And then I will give my answer as well. So this is uh, the voice memo that my friend gave. Okay, this is stressful because I wish we, like, I wish your phone wasn't shit and we would have communicated, like, sooner because I'm trying to find this tweet that I saw out back when I, like, I want to say, like, a year into when I first started camming. And um, it was said by R-E-D. Her Twitter is at V-A-R-I-D-E-E. If you ever want to look her up, she's a great sex worker. We've been mutuals forever. Very sweet woman. Um, But I remember she said something along the lines of, like, sex workers do not sell their body. They sell a service. um, And we still own our bodies. And that's how I see it. Like, you a man paying for an escort or as some call themselves like companions, you're not buying their body. You're buying their time and a service, which is usually companionship. Um, and that's it. Like you don't, you're never buying someone's body. Like men do not, when they buy my porn, they don't buy my body. They, they buy a service and that's my porn. And that's that I'm still my own person. And I feel like a lot of sex workers feel that way. Um, I feel like that at least should be your mindset if you're as an adult and you're doing sex work consensually. Um, but yeah, that's like the easiest way to sum it up is that you don't you don't buy someone's body. Like my body is still mine. I do whatever I want to it, and that's that. <laughs> so that's great. That's a really great way of putting it. They yeah, on their bodies, they they are paying for a service. Right, and something about the question of um, should a man ever have the right to buy a woman's body for his own pleasure. I feel like whenever it's stated that way, and so often the way that we look at sex work, probably because of how our society is set up, um, we're making the focus on the man rather than the focus being on the women involved in the transaction. So it's really stripping the woman away from her agency to say that she is being purchased for someone else's pleasure. Right. Um, you're stripping her of her own like bodily autonomy yeah. and ability to decide what she wants to do. So, yeah. So it's, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a hard question. It's a transaction. It's a transactional interaction that really isn't any different in my view, as yeah. long as it's consensual from most any other transactional yeah. agreement, you know? So, so yeah, that'd be my answer. Okay. There's a podcast called The Guilty Feminist, and at the start of each episode, they reveal something that is a guilty pleasure, secret, or something they've done which they feel guilty about because they're feminists. It's always something lighthearted and silly. I'd love to know if there's anything that makes you feel like a guilty feminist. Mine's the fact that I have a serious thing for Tommy Shelby from Peaky Blinders, despite the fact that he's a violent, narcissistic misogynist. All right. I hear you. Um, I feel like mine... 
I couldn't really think of, like, a TV show or um, anything like that. The only thing that's silly that I can think of that I, like, partake in is, like, watching porn, which, going off of, like, what we just said, like, there can be things where, you know, we will definitely hit that topic of whether or not, like, viewing porn is, like, anti-feminist or feminist or Mm not. Um, but that's, like, the one thing that I can kind of think of. There's def- there's definitely porn I- I've watched that I'm like, this is problematic. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that I'm like, this for is sure. problematic porn to be watching. Um, but the other thing, like, I just think about when I was younger, mostly, like, the competition that I felt against other women, uh, especially when it came to men. That's, I think, the thing that I feel the most, like, guilty about um, is ruining positive female friendships or even just like relationships with other women because I felt that they were my competition in some way whether it was in the acting world the figure skating world the dating world I feel like I definitely wanted to always be the best woman um so I feel like that's something for me that I feel the most guilty about I would say that for me mine is much sillier than that okay Um, good (laughs) something that makes me feel like a, a guilty feminist is watching reality tv yeah, like, like watching, watching reality, the like consuming The Bachelor. Which, listen, I don't watch The Bachelor in earnest. I watch it. I, I hate watch The Bachelor. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. I watch it to make fun of it with my friends right. or whatever. But nonetheless, yeah. I still partake in this like you know reality TV machine yeah. that is not always the best yeah. uh, in in its portrayals of women, right. and does make me feel like a bad feminist sometimes. Yeah, but. You know, we've discussed, you can't cut out everything that's problematic right. from your life. Exactly. So Yeah, I, things for me, I guess, when I watch, like, How I Met Your Mother. Right. Or, like, even that, I can't really watch it anymore. But there's, like... old movies where you're like, this is kind of rapey. Like, yeah. it's super rapey, but you know what? I love Gene Kelly, so I'm just going to put it out I'm of my brain. Gonna, you know? Uh, like, every every person has something like that. Every yeah. feminist certainly has something like that. So yeah. that was a very well, good question. because we're so hyper-aware, too, of everything yeah. that's, like, problematic. That we're very aware of when things, absolutely, you know, are wrong. And you have people looking at you all the time, being yeah. like, "Why are you consuming this exactly. form of media? Because it's problematic." So, thank you so much, Jody, for those questions. Thank you, Jody. All right, our next set of questions are from Michaela. She asks, "What podcast do you honestly listen to religiously, aside from Yamp, My Worst Day?" Yeah, and- I listen to my own podcast yeah, religiously. religiously. <laughs> Listen, we we begrudgingly listen to our episodes. I mean, like, that's why we send them to each other to check, because I'm like, if I have to listen to the same thing over and over again one more time. Yeah, so uh, there's a kind of, like, a little insider um, information. So the way that we edit is we kind of switch back and forth who's doing the editing. Mm-hmm. And so the person who does the editing doesn't do the final listen-through to make sure yeah. everything is okay, because, honestly, if you have to record something, then you have to listen to it to edit it, which is oftentimes listening you to, have the, to, same listen to the same section. Portion over and over, over and again, yeah, and then have to listen to it through again. No. You will drive yourself insane. It's like it's maddening, right? It's so so, maddening. so that's how we do that. But yeah. um, she listens to us, and she listens to my worst date, and that's like super super sweet. Um, and she listens to my favorite murder religiously, and so she's asking us, what do we listen to religiously, girl? So of course, I listen to my favorite murder every week. It's of one course. of those that's so easy for me to turn on in the car or pop an earbud in while I'm at work. I listen to True Crime Obsessed religiously. I'm mm-hmm. part of their Patreon. They do, like, extra... Like, they'll do, like, multiple extra episodes a week, and I'm on that shit. Mm-hmm. I love them. Uh, 
Jillian Pensavalli and Patrick Hines are my bitches. Shout out. I love them so much. I like to listen to Keep It Weird. Your fave is problematic. Two Girls, One Ghost. Screw it. We're just going to talk about the Beatles. And you must remember this. Very good. Very good. I do listen to Keep It Weird as well. My podcasts that I listen to probably the most are the Daily Zeitgeist every (laughs) single day of my life. I listen to the Daily Zeitgeist every morning, um, Monday through Friday. As I'm driving to work, I listen to Behind the Bastards is really good. Uh, The Bechdel cast, as a feminist podcast, we can give them a shout out because Mm -hmm. they break down women's portrayal in movies, which is really, really cool. I listen to, as far as true crime goes, Case File. I freaking Mm -hmm. love Case File. And the latest one, if you guys have not listened to Cold, oh my god, Cold is so Good. Okay. It is so good. Um, And then my honorable mentions, because I don't have enough podcasts, are um, Stuff You Should Know, Mm -hmm. which I listen to when they're doing a subject that I just, like, really, like, am very interested in because they go deep, deep into it. Um, And then Lore. If I've yeah. got, if I've run out, Laura is my one. If I've like run out of new episodes of all my other ones, yeah. I put Laura on. Love it. So the next question is, what would your last meal consist of if price weren't taken into account? To be honest, I didn't even write anything on oh, this I had one. To write this down. Well, because here's the deal. I would honestly probably pick a bunch of like nostalgic childhood bullshit foods. Yeah. Um. I wouldn't be like, I want a filet mignon and a lobster, although filet mignon is freaking delicious. Right. I would probably be like, I want some mac and cheese. I want some, I want For some, real. you know, fucking Lucky Charms. Like, I want things that I grew up eating. But, like, in all honesty, if I was about to be killed, I'd be like, I'm not hungry. <laughs> like, I can't eat anything. I feel like I would be the same, but, you know, with the understanding that I could eat, I yeah. would probably... If I felt like I needed to be fancy for whatever reason, I would probably choose, like, a steak and mashed potatoes and, like, that sort of thing. Yeah. is very a comforting thing to me. But when I think about the things that bring me the most comfort, it's always, like, stuff I had when I was a kid. Right. And at that point, it's, like, fuck everything else. You might... If you're not gonna... Who cares if you get sick from eating too much, like, sugar and, I know. Like, well, mine is gonna... Mine's pretty crazy and very specific. So, I, first and foremost, would want bar mac and cheese, like... The like with the, the crusties on top. Yes, mm. but okay. My favorite one right now, and I'm gonna have it when I go home. I've made my decision. Is um the jalapeno mac and cheese from Fat Dog. Oh my god, I'm so hungry. Which is in NoHo. I know I'm starving. Um, I would also want a pitcher of my mom's sangria, a bowl of my family's chili, peanut butter chip ice cream from McConnell's, and a pack of cigarettes. Does that count? Yeah, I mean sure. <laughs> They used to let you have a cigarette before you were executed. I think, I mean, that's, I would just be, like, on the chair, like, fucking do it again. Pull the lever. Pull the lever. I mean, Pull okay. The lever. So Crunk. I guess that, that, to me, I'm going to piggyback on this question and say, so your, like, final alcoholic beverage would be your mom's sangria? For sure. Gosh. It's so full of, like, I've had that, your like, mom's sangria. triple sack brandy. That shit it is fucks good. you up. It's so good. I wonder what mine would be. Like, if I had, if I could only have, like, one more alcoholic beverage. I feel like, yes. Or a really good, like, jalapeno, like, pineapple margarita. That sounds amazing. Yeah. See, tequila makes me feel kind of sick. I yeah, don't but you're going to die anyway. I know, but I don't need any more anxiety going to the chair. <laughs> Dude, we could have a whole episode on this. Like, it, we could just talk about food that we eat before we die constantly. All okay, right. so who is an artist, can be music, literature, etc., that got you through a difficult time in your life? Who is an artist that inspires you? 
Mine will always and forever be Judy Garland. But then when I think about my childhood as well, one of my muses growing up being a figure skater was Sasha Cohen. Mm -hmm. She was really inspiring to me growing up. And my coach, when I first got my new coach, she really worked on like the technical side of my skating when I was always very artistic. And she said, no speed, no Sasha. Like I couldn't give it full out if I wasn't going to be fast Mm -hmm. and do what I was supposed to do. So she's my girl. Um, for me, this is going to say a lot about my personality because, like, all of these are, like, depressing. But when I think about the things that got me through the most difficult times in my life, definitely music. Music was a big one for me. Bright Eyes. To this day, if I'm ever, like, having a really difficult day or a really difficult period in my life, I will sometimes, like, get in the bath and turn on I'm Wide Awake It's Morning. And just listen to I'm Wide Awake It's Morning, the entire album, because there's something about his voice that is so, like, it just, it makes you feel like you can cry in the bathtub by yourself, drinking some wine, and be okay about it. That's why with Over the Rainbow, if I hear Over the Rainbow and I need to cry, like, I just turn that song on and I just let it Yeah, and you're gonna be all right. Yeah. Um, Other ones would be, like, Brandy Carlisle, it's kind of the same for me. Bell and Sebastian really evokes this, like, uh, thing from my childhood or from my adolescence in me. And then books, I would say anything by Jonathan Safran for so, like, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, every Everything yeah. is illuminated. Um, Books those... are just something in general that have always been, like, an escape for me. Like, I always have a book that I'm reading. And I've gotten better. Like, I took a break from that. And then this year, I've really... I've already read, like, four books Oh, really? Year. I have I've not been on my reading game. But, but I know that Jonathan Safran for... I remember the first time I read... The first time I read Everything is Illuminated. And then after that, I read Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. And it just... Something about his writing style is so, like... It just tugs on my heartstrings. Yeah. And then there are certain classics that get me, like... Um, Wuthering Heights is one of those. Jane Eyre brings me... Jane yeah. Eyre brings me a lot of comfort. And then, of course, the teenager in me will always want to read Perks of Being a Wallflower mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm struggling. So. I remember... I think you lent me that book, or you told I me to read it. I thought you lent never, me that book. I did lend you that book. You're right. I knew it was something like that, and I just remember reading it and being absolutely destroyed. Such a good book. Yeah, totally. All very depressing things, Keegan. I'm sorry. This I When I'm sad, I'm just like, I just want to lean into it. No, I lean I'm into the, the same sadness. way. You have to feel it to yeah. get it out. I'm totally the same way. Alright, so she asks, if I were to visit LA, what is a must-see place or a must-go restaurant that won't appear on touristy blogs? I'm the worst at answering this question. Mine is so simple. Okay, you go first, because... Um, visit the pod closet. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sure, for sure. That's my only answer to that question. Um, it definitely won't show up on any tourist blogs. No. That's, uh, <laughs> for sure. Um, to be honest, my place that I used to go was, that never would show up on, on any tourist yeah. blog, would be, you have to come to the barrel in Sherman Oaks, but with my friends. Yeah, because, because that's trust what would have made it fun. That was from the story that I that I said a while ago with the guy who was like. Being that's creepy. where I got roofied. Was yeah. the barrel? But <laughs> so disregard those things. But the barrel was so special because it was like the worst dive bar you've ever seen. Yeah, but. Man, we still karaoke. Like, we still go out karaokeing, but it is not, not the, same. the same because you had the run of that place and you could sing as much as you wanted. Yeah. And it was such a good time. Um, other than that, okay, things that wouldn't show up on tourist blogs, it's hard for me because because I'm the worst. Like, people come to visit and I'm like, I don't know. Do you want to go look at the stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? I, know, like, I don't for know what me, to do for yeah, you. I like the Griffith Observatory. That'll show up on the blogs. 
um, like everything I can think of, like I don't do a lot of like LA things. Although I did go to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery recently. Yes, and which that, I've been to too. It's that awesome. will show up on tourist blogs, but that's really cool. Right. If we're talking things that would show up on tourist blogs that I would still take you to, I would still take Venice you Beach. to um, Venice Beach. I would still take you to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. I would actually do the um, bike ride between Venice Beach and Santa yes, Monica. That's the best. But as far as like things that aren't on those blogs, like I feel like I live such a life like I did even back in Minnesota. Like I go to Chipotle and I go home. Yeah, I, you know, like yeah, I don't nothing, go out. I don't yeah, go out. There's nothing about my life that's like super LA. No. So it's kind of hard for me to yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. Same. Okay. If you could go back to school, money and time not being a factor, what would you study? I would love to take women's study classes for obvious reasons. But when I was growing up, I wanted to be a pediatric psychologist. So a psych degree would be really cool. I always really wanted to be a therapist when I was younger. And I'm so fascinated by psychology. I'm also really fascinated by, like, criminal psychology. It'd be really interesting to, like, work with kids who have been through um, any sort of, like, criminal trauma or things like that. I feel like I would be good at that. Yeah. um, My mom is a therapist. And so I always thought that if I didn't do this, Mm -hmm. I would have gone into forensic psychology um, because my mom worked with sex criminals And I always thought that that would be super interesting. Mm -hmm. So I would want to get a degree in that. So money and time not being an issue. If I could get as many degrees as I wanted, I would probably get a degree in forensic psychology. I would probably also get a degree in audio engineering to help me with podcasting. And then I would probably also go back to school and um, study acting again. Not because I need a degree in acting, but just because there was something really great about knowing you were going to get up, get up every day and act. And do it, yeah. So, I agree. If I could go to acting classes every day of my life, I totally would. Yeah, so I'd probably do both of those things. All right. If you could work as anything, salary, studies, and previous, previous experience not being a factor, what would your dream job be? My dream job would be an actor-podcaster. Yeah, same. <laughs> Truly. Um, if I could do that full-time, I would. I would love to be able to create and not have to worry about uh, money. Yep. Um, ideally, I would love to incorporate travel in my life. If I could travel as a consequence of being an actor and a podcaster, doing tours or traveling on location to shoot things, that yeah. would be my ideal job. Like, yeah. if I had a, a genie and he was like, I can give you one career, um, that would be what that would be. Yeah, mine's very similar. I, you know, I have an acting background as well, but I really have always been in love with doing voiceover. Um, so doing any sort of voiceover and podcasting, which is still something that I'm pursuing. Um, I actually started writing a TV show like years ago, just on my own of like a progressive kids TV show that would just be like 10 minutes at a time. I would really like to start working on that again, because I feel like with my experience with children and also just kind of like my, the things that I believe in and my background, I feel like it could be a really good platform yeah, for Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of my thing. Yeah. What is something that you have always admired about your physical appearance, and what is something that you have admired about one another's physical appearance? (laughs) All Um, right. (laughs) I love my long legs. I call them chicken legs because they're so skinny, and every, like, I, if I could put my weight, like, in my butt and in my legs a little bit more, that would be great. I just want that, like, curvy, like bottom part of me a little bit more but <laughs> you can I have love... some of mine if you oh, want but I love I have my mom's legs I love my legs um I also really love my boobs my boobs are great I really love Keegan's hair which I know <laughs> drives her crazy but I've always wanted curly hair that is so funny so much of what you've said is like 
it's it's always going to be a grass is greener situation, yeah, you know, totally. like always, always, because my answer to this was actually kind of complicated because I think I've had to grow into loving just about everything about myself. I wouldn't right. say that there's one thing that I've always admired about my physical I appearance. I used to always I, say that my pinkies are my favorite thing about myself because I just couldn't think of anything else that I wanted to say about my physical yeah, appearance. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've had a really complicated relationship with my appearance, yeah. um, but I would say... The only thing that I can think of that I've always liked about yeah. my physical appearance is I have a, a mole. I have a beauty mark on my cheek that yeah. I've always liked. Other than that, something that I didn't like so much growing up that I have grown to like now is um, my dimples. Yeah. I like my dimples now. Yeah, and for me too, like my my stomach was always something that I was really hard on myself about. And I can't say I love my stomach all the time, but it's definitely something that I love because I've worked on loving it it. so much. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like, it's one of those like relationships that I have with my stomach where it's like, I love it because it's like, I've I've had to make myself grow in order to love. Right. You have to kind of stop looking at your body and stop looking at things on your body as flaws and start looking at them as features. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've had to start doing about things about myself that I, I think are strange or yeah. not beautiful in yeah. the conventional sense. And um, I, I put legs for you, Madigan, because oh, good. <laughs> I've had thick thighs my whole life, and I'm just like, man, I wish I had long, thin legs. I used to always call myself Mr. Potato Head because I felt like I was very round in the center, but then I have these, like, long, gangly, like, stringy limbs. Like, I have really long arms and long legs, and I'm just like, bleh. Yeah, but that's good. No, it is. But, like, for me, like, it, it's like I felt unproportionate. I at one point and in my life, again, know? like we're our we're our harshest critics. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So, what is something that you have always admired about your personality, and what is something you have admired about one another's personality? Something that I think has been a pro and a con in my life when it comes to my personality is that I feel like I do always try and I try and give people the benefit of the doubt all the time, right? <laughs> to the point where I'm just like. That it's good. It's good mm-hmm. to do that. Um, but it can sometimes get in the way of, yeah, I can of be yourself. Too yeah, being too trusting, I think, is definitely one of those things where you're just like you will make concessions for people constantly. Mm-hmm. And even if they've hurt you, you're constantly trying to find reasons why they've done like what they've done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it give can, a lot of chances. You give a lot of chances. Yeah. And that's something that I've had to actually like work on with myself. But I think the root of that is something admirable. I think it's yeah. wanting to see the good in everyone and wanting to understand that everybody goes through stuff and they might not be their best selves at any given moment. And right. you and allowing yourselves those yourself that concession as well. Yeah. I would say with you, it's that you're very giving. Yeah. Like, you do, like, give of yourself very much. You work in a job that requires you to do that. Um, and I think that that's super admirable of you, you. Because I do not have the patience <laughs> to do, like, what you do, yeah. for instance. Well, so, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, for me, I love... I used to hate how, like, loud and outgoing and out there I was and, like, my awkwardness and my... Uh, ability to say the wrong thing at the wrong time or to slip and fall and things like that. But it's something that I've really learned to love about myself because I feel like when I let my own flaws kind of show or what we tend to look at as flaws, it allows people around me to have a more authentic relationship with me. Mm -hmm. I like that I can allow people to be comfortable, authentic, feel accepted. I feel like I'm a really empathetic person, which I think is really great. 
Um, something about your personality that I really love, and we kind of have like another question similar to this, so I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Sure. I feel like something that I really love about you, and it's funny that you said that you feel like you're um, one of those people that like gives a lot of chances. I really respect like the boundaries that you set with people and like the way that you stand up for yourself. Because I feel like a lot of times for me, it's something that like, because I like to give to people, I don't like to disappoint people. Um, I push myself really far when it comes to that. And it's hard for me to, um, like, I have those boundaries. Like, I know that they're there and I'll set them, but like, I'm lenient on them. Right, of course. And when I someone don't pushes have... back against that boundary, it's yeah, hard for you to... It's easy for me to, to think that, oh, this, I should be doing this because I am that way. Right. Because mm-hmm. I'm a giving person, I have to continually be that type of person for everybody. Where I think when I stand up for myself, it takes people aback a little bit. They don't expect that from me. Right. So that's something I've definitely had to work on and that I admire. And I think being friends with you has helped me that with that a lot. I, I think that's so funny that you see me that way because it's something that I've had to work on so much. Well, that's probably why I see it because it's something that like I've seen you do, you know, and, and work on for yourself. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Very good question. Yeah. What is your favorite piece of clothing that you own? It can be due to comfort, because you feel confident in it, because it has sentimental value, etc. When it comes to, like, what I wear out, my favorite things to wear are... I love the color yellow. I have a yellow shirt that I wear constantly. Um, My mom jeans. And I always like to steal a flannel from my boyfriend. (laughs) Um, I've always been a clothes stealer when it comes to my relationships. But the thing that I feel, like, the most comfortable in, and, like, I like to... It's weird because, like, when I like to go home and be comfortable, I still like to feel, like, what I'm wearing is, like, still makes me feel good. Right. You know, like, not just, like, I'm going to throw on mismatched stuff. Um, I love wearing sweatpants, uh, my favorite Beatles t-shirt. Um, and then just something really, like, fluffy and cozy, or, again, a flannel. Um, that's kind of my, like, go-to the second I get out the door. I'm not wearing those mom jeans at home. Oh, God, ever. no. They're, like, yeah. old Levi's thick. They're suffocating your organs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, those are that's not my go-to when I'm just, like, hanging out. And I always think, like, I feel the most confident when I'm really comfortable. So, like, I love just wearing my sweatpants with my favorite Beatles t-shirt. I'm feeling good. That question is hard for me. A lot of these questions are hard for me (laughs) because while I love clothes, I buy clothes a lot. Um, What's your, like, go-to thing? Like, if you're, like, running out the door but it's not, like, for work or for anything, you're just, like, you're going out just to see your friends. Like, what's something you know you can put on that you're going to feel good and comfortable in? It would probably be, honestly, like, my um, engagement outfit. (laughs) The outfit I was wearing when I got engaged, which was my mom jeans, Mm -hmm. like, you know, waist-high mom jeans, and then I was wearing my Doc Martin like, calf-high mm-hmm. boots and a flannel and just, like, a kind of almost a crop-top t-shirt. Yeah. And, like, a, a loosey-goosey bra. Yeah. Because I felt very confident in that, but, you know, and so that's that, that would probably be my answer, but even though I love clothes and I buy lots of clothes, I don't think I have like a lot of sentimental attachment to most clothes. Like there are certain things I'll never get rid of. Like I'll never get rid of my prom dress probably. Like there are things that I'll never get rid of, but other than that, like things that I wear regularly. There are new things that will come about. Yeah. yeah. I feel like for me, my like vintage Beatles shirt that I got a couple years ago, that's got holes in it and it was worn by probably 50 people before me and it's too big for me, but I wear it constantly. That's probably like my favorite, like, 
thing. I've had it for a while now. Yeah, there That's are my clothes. Go-to. There are clothes that I don't wear very much, but still have sentimental value to me. Like I have my David, my David Bowie Labyrinth T-shirt. Yeah. That like I don't wear that much, but will never get rid of. Yeah. Or like my, uh, I have several David Bowie shirts. I have another David Bowie shirt that I used to wear whenever Anthony and I first started dating that I will never get rid of. Yeah. But I don't wear that much anymore. So, but. All of those things, I think what makes me feel like the most confident is not necessarily being comfortable, but like anytime I go out wearing like Honestly, like... Keegan always looks good when she goes out. I mean, I don't know. I I I always look like a troll when I go out. I went out recently, and I was wearing, like, a real deep V, like, a deep V, like, white T-shirt almost to my belly button, and then I had, like, a lacy bra underneath that, and, like, my mom jeans, and, like, those things make me feel confident in myself. I feel you. So it would probably be one of those things. Mom jeans and boots. Yeah. There you go. For all around. Both (laughs) of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. What is your lucky number? I don't know that I have one, and this is super cheesy, but seven. I've always said that seven is my favorite number. Mine is mine is two, but my numbers are basically my birthday. My favorite numbers are seven, nine, and two, but I also love the number 750. I've got a tattoo of it on my shoulder. It was the address of the house that my mom grew up in, that I grew up in, so whenever I see a 750 or it's seven. 50 on the clock. Is that your lotto number? I get, it would be. Like, that's <laughs> what I get really excited about. And then I remember I got a fortune cookie when I was little saying that one of my lucky numbers was four. So four is one of my lucky numbers, too. Fun. Okay. There. What is a show or movie that you recognize is awful, but you continue to watch slash love it? I feel like you could answer what mine is, because I used to talk about it all the time. How I Met show. Your Mother? No. Think even, like, grosser than that. Like, what's my guilty pleasure? And I used to talk about it on the show all the time. Dance, dance moms. moms. Yeah, I watch it all day today. That's like my comfort show. I love Dance Moms so much. I've seen every episode so many times. Oh, God, I mean, I guess mine would be. I mean, there's a lot. Like anytime you look back again, like when you're a feminist, you're like hyper aware of how yeah. bad these shows are. So pretty much any sitcom you watch before the year 2005 is gonna be. Uh, a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Like, I was watching Everybody Loves Raymond the other day, and I was like, yeah. mm, a lot of these jokes are not okay. Like, no, you, you can't say this shit show. anymore. Um, but I still love it. Pretty much any Golden Era movie mm-hmm. you watch is a guilty pleasure for me. And then again, again, watching reality TV. Yeah. Any, really any reality TV. <laughs> yeah. Because it's usually contrived to make women look catty and bad. Yeah. So, Keegan, yeah. are you superstitious? Not particularly. I I think I used to be superstitious, and I'm not anymore. I, when I was skating, I was hyper superstitious. There was a period of time my mom couldn't watch me compete. I had special stuffed animals. I had to have Honey Nut Cheerios in the morning. I had to have a mellow yellow before I skated. Um, There were certain songs I'd have to listen to, certain, like, warm-ups I would have to do. I am a knock-on-wood type of person, and to this day... If you have a headlight out on your car, I will say padiddle, kiss my oh, hand, we did, and touch we the did ceiling. Oh, we did Popeye hit the ceiling. Popeye. I don't know. I've done padiddle since I was, like, nine years old. That's and funny. I, even if I'm, like, having a conversation with someone, I'll just touch my hand to my mouth and put it on my ceiling. And it's, like, if I suppress it, like, it feels wrong, and I have to do it. Like, that, I have th- to make it happen. That's so funny to me. Yeah, I'm not I'm not superstitious like that at all. I'll play but I don't those, think anything bad's going to happen. I'll play those games. But, well, then that sounds, like, obsessive-compulsive to me. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> I'm just saying, if you don't think anything's bad gonna, is going to happen, but you I feel the need to, to do, do it, it anyway, like... it's compulsion. It's compulsion for you. Um, For me, yeah, I, I don't... I play those games because I think they're fun. Yeah. But I definitely don't... Um, 
I don't ever think that if I do X, Y, Z, I don't believe in curses. I don't think that anything bad is going to happen to me. I was like, when I was skating, like, I just, I liked my routine. And I felt like if I were to follow the same routine as I did when I skated well, like, same color nail polish, um, you know, certain things my mom and I would do before, like, recreate the magic. Like, I, I had to do it because it just made me feel better and because I feel like it's such a superstitious sport. Sure. Those things just kind well, of happen. Well, I think sports culture in general is superstitious. Yeah. Ask any guy who, like, watches a football team. Like, they all feel that way. Yeah. Okay. Do you believe in ghosts, aliens, and or our personalities being determined by astrological signs? Some of these I believe in more than others. I fully believe in ghosts. My grandma was a ghost. I'll get into that story another time because it will make this show way longer than it has to be. Um, aliens, I do, be- I think we're, like, we would be dumb to think that we are the only beings in the universe. I feel like there's got to be something else out there. Um, I don't believe our personalities are controlled by our astrological signs. I do see some links between, like, personalities and astrological signs sometimes, but I'm a big believer in us creating our own fate and that there could be a fate out there of the way things are supposed to happen, but, like, the, the choices we make on a day-to-day basis are basically what makes... A reality, you know? I think that astro- um, astrology is fun. I think it is something that I really enjoy yeah. looking at. I never have any shame about being like, yeah, I'm a Pisces. Um, I've actually looked at getting that constellation tattoo just because I'm like, I, I like it. I, yeah. I find it to be an interesting culture I to be a be- part I mean, of. me, I'm such a Cancer that it's insane. Right. I mean, and and we draw parallels to that. And, yeah. I, and I think it's fun and I think it's interesting and I have no shade for astrological culture. Um, but as far as me being a rational human being, believing that the yeah. stars are guiding my life, I don't believe that necessarily i do see parallels of course being a pisces aries cusp (laughs) um i do see parallels in my life to my to my astrological sign but i also think that that's that's mostly a psychological thing where we're drawing parallels where we see them so please don't at me about that uh because i know people feel very strongly how about about ghosts and aliens so ghosts i i I don't know spirits I, it, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know because I'm like, I used to very strongly believe in ghosts. I also used to very strongly believe in demons and angels and all of those things. Now, I, I do strongly believe that your energy goes somewhere and how yeah. that manifests, I'm not sure. Right. Do I believe that I can feel my, like, relatives who existed before me oh, around man. me? Oh, man. I've like, had some crazy, like, feelings yeah. and experiences. So I do, I do feel that. I don't know if I would use the word ghosts, but I do mm-hmm. feel like their energy lingers and it and it stays around you. Yeah. Um, aliens. Aliens. I agree with you. I've always agreed with you that it doesn't make sense that we would be here alone. Yeah. I'll say this really quickly, though. There is a podcast called The End of the World with Josh Clark. Josh uh-huh. Clark is from Stuff You Should Know. And the very first episode of that is a very good episode called The Fermi Paradox, okay. in which they talk about the likelihood or not of there being aliens, because if... Like, it seems likely that there should be aliens, but if they exist, where the fuck are they? Also, <laughs> like, wouldn't Donald the... Trump have spilled that secret by Yeah, now? he's an idiot. Yeah, um, he would have he already revealed that <laughs> to us. aliens! So listen to the first episode called The Fermi Paradox, because it did make me question, because yeah. it was like, the likelihood that we have not made contact with aliens yet is very low if right. they exist. Unless right. they exist and they're 
avoiding the shit out I of us. I think they're avoiding us. They're like, you guys are a mess, and yeah. we don't want any part of that. But right. but yeah, my my instinct is to say yes on aliens. So what are some of your pet peeves, large or small? All right, here we go. I'm ready. Slow walkers. That was my first one, too. Fucking at, at the top. <laughs> Walk like you have some purpose. Yeah. Walk like you have purpose. If I'm stuck behind you and you're walking fucking slow, and also... If you're walking slow, my biggest pet peeve is at a mall, whenever it's like three people, yes. taking up the entire... And you're trying to get around them, but you can't. And they're all walking slow? Fucking no. That, yep. That's a no. Um, people who are inconsiderate to wait staff. Yeah. Don't be a dick to wait staff. That, I, I hate that. People who walk through doors when you hold them open and don't say thank you to you. <laughs> Must be polite. Be, yeah, all of mine have to do with, like, being, being polite. polite. Yeah, yeah, because I'm just, like, if if you if I open a door and you walk through, like, I'm supposed to be standing there opening it for yeah. you, I will get so mad. Yeah. So those are mine. Okay, mine are slow walkers, people who are double-jointed. It makes me want to throw up. Um, <laughs> they can't, can't help it. Can't handle, but when they show it to me, like, I can't. I hate people show me their double-jointedness, although I can well, don't do it then. Make my shoulder pop. <laughs> but I'm not double jointed. It just isn't in a socket. Um, I hate whining. I hate it. I think it's from working with kids. I hear whining and it's like nails on a chalkboard in my ears. Asshole drivers. Yeah. Um, and it's when, been raining in LA for like three days. I so. know. And when my mom yelps, like she'll just be like, oh, 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 okay. I've got another one. Um, sorry, Anthony, but scream sneezers. <laughs> Anthony is a scream sneezer to the point where our, our cats are scared. And I'm like, there's no reason. You should be at like 10 decibels when you when you sneeze. And when he was yeah. sick and he sneezed like six times in a row, I'm like, our neighbors are going to be fine. <laughs> it's so loud. Yeah, for me, it's been since I was little. Like, if any little thing happens, my mom will just go, Whoop! And now I'm starting to do it. And I'm like, I hate myself. Isn't who I want to be. I know. Isn't who Man. I want to be. Nope. Um. Okay. When was the last time you cried, and what were you crying about? My anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally crying because I was so anxious and because I felt like I had no control over my life. And, uh, yeah, I cry a lot. I'm a firm believer in the power of crying, so I will just let it all go. God bless my boyfriend. Um, but, yeah, that was the last time I cried. I used to cry a lot. Now I'm a robot. I don't cry very much, but... Uh, listeners, I know we've talked about this previously, mm. but my grandfather did just pass away. Yeah. I just came back from a funeral. Um, so yeah, there was a lot, a lot of crying involved. It was yeah. very close to him and yeah. I miss him very much. Yeah. Yeah. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? I put that I would make the world a little bit more compassionate, mm -hmm. not so quick to anger. I think that we're really lacking a lot of empathy right now. Everyone yep. is lacking a lot of empathy. It's very similar to so, that. So, uh, so yeah. I, and I know that it's human nature to separate yourself into different groups, but yeah. I wish that we could kind of set that our differences aside a little bit more. Yeah, I, I to go off of that, because that's basically what I wrote, is I just said that I want to celebrate people's differences more instead of feeling so segregated from them. I feel like when we are able to see somebody who's different than us and learn from them, I feel like that's a really beautiful, powerful thing, and I wish that we could... Um, on a broader scale, practice that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you want to have kids? As soon as I'm financially ready for it, fuck yeah. I only want, like, one or two, though. I don't yeah. want any more than that, but, like, I am a kid person. I am very excited to be a mother one day. Um, I don't know. Maybe in the next, like, eight to ten years. Okay. Yeah. Um, I put yes eventually. I am... I don't know that I see myself necessarily as a kid person. Kids seem to like me. 
a lot, <laughs> which I'm always like, okay. Um, but, but I don't know. It's really true. What they say, I guess not for everyone, but for me it has been. The closer you get to 30, the more you see kids and you're like, oh, that's so cute. I know, but then your whole life is gone. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So I am saying yes to and kids. And your life is fuller because of kids, too. Of course, et cetera, et cetera. We know your life isn't gone. It just changes. We know. We get but it. I'm not ready for those changes yet. Yeah. And I'm not financially able or stable. I think if I was more financially stable, I would be ready for it sooner. I mean, of course, yeah. You know? Of course. That's a big factor in it. But also, there's so much I want to do. There's so much about my career I want to do. And right. so much traveling I want to have. But yes, eventually, I would like to have kids. What is something that you recognize as irrational to get anxious over, yet you cannot help but be stressed about? Not being successful enough by the time I'm 30. <laughs> Seriously. This fills me, and has always filled me with, probably the most depressing episodes of my life. Like, when yeah. I was clinically depressed, um, came from feeling like I wasn't being successful fast enough. Yeah. And sticking to other people's timetables about, like, what success means and getting there quickly enough. Um, And again, as I get closer and closer to 30, I'll be 29 this year, I had a whole list of expectations of what my life would look like when I was 30. Yeah. Gotta reevaluate that. It doesn't look like that. And it can fill you with a lot of anxiety and stress. And... Don't do that. Don't yeah. do that because everyone's you have to reevaluate as you go. You know. Yeah. I just heard everything. <laughs> everything is feeling me stress. And I'm like going through this time right now where I need a new. I need a psychiatrist because my meds are not working anymore. I'm like, why am I anxious about every little thing? Like crowds and lots of people never used to bother me, and now I'm like, I don't like being with a lot of people. Right. It just causes me so much anxiety. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm just gonna at this point in my life, I'm just gonna say everything fucking causes me anxiety. Sure. And if there's nothing to be anxious about, I'll just find something to be anxious about. Sure. Yeah. It's great. It's a good life to live. Fun. Fun times. Fun times. Um, um, what is something you have done that you are most proud of? I always, like, kind of dig further back into my past when I think about things that I'm proud of. Um, and I always go back to skating, too. I feel like I, I won two consecutive state titles, and that's something. And I came from go- getting last place to first place. And that was something that meant so much to me as a child that I still kind of carry that with me into adulthood of feeling very proud of myself for having accomplished that. But I think the thing that I'm most proud of in my life is that I've overcome my psychological demons that I've had. I've been through, you know, I've dealt with anxiety and depression since I was a baby, basically, and then dealt with self-harm and and that manifested into an eating disorder and all these things and like I I was like I almost had these different self-destructive things until I finally got the help I needed Mm -hmm. and then and that last thing was my eating disorder and I was able to work through it and finally get to kind of the root issues of why I felt the way that I felt and that that was okay and that I could learn to live differently I feel like that's probably the thing that I'm most proud of yeah that's a really good one for me, I think it would be surviving <laughs> largely on my own, yeah. like moving to L.A. I think sometimes people don't understand like exactly how it was when I first came here. It was rough, really, really, really rough. Yeah. And like I was really, really, really poor and had very little. I was as close to the I mean, I was below the poverty line yeah. for sure. Oh, my gosh. I think most of my life in L.A. I've been below the poverty line. I mean, yes, but, like, this was, like, scraping up pennies to pay for gas. Yeah. This was, like, you. Yeah. It, it was, like, 
living off literally like ramen and white bread. And yep. and I didn't have a, I was sleeping on like, you know, an inflatable mattress and it was hard. And I tried very hard not to ask my family for very much help Yeah, when it came to that. I didn't have a car for most of the time that I lived here. I took yeah. the bus. Um, so to see like, to see like where I started yeah. in my adult life, in my adult journey. And it kind of goes hand in hand with being, with judging yourself You've at, had a lot of where, other successes. Right. And it, it, it goes into judging yourself with who you are at 30. Because if I look at who I was at 20 and, like, what I was doing and, like, where I started, yeah. I've come so far. So far. You My know, God. so I'm just, like... That's the thing I think I'm most proud of yeah. and, like, being able to become my own person outside of my family identity and things like that as well. Yeah. Um. So those were all from Michaela. Thank, Thank you, you so Michaela. much. <laughs> and these next ones are from Alicia. Yeah. Uh, what are your personal goals you've set for yourself? So my current goal is to spend less time in my office job and spend more time doing the art that I love. So, yeah. uh podcasting, acting. I have some other projects that I've got going on right now uh, in the works, so uh, that would be it. Yeah, for me, I want to create a sound studio for myself and other independent podcasters to facilitate their talents. Um, I want to... I mean, I'm thinking of, like, really, like, tangible goals for myself right now. I really want to get another dog. I'd like to live in a bigger place. Um, Yeah. Those are things that I feel like are very, like, physical, tangible goals that I have for myself. Um, But I think also, like, a goal that I always have for myself is to constantly just be learning and growing. I would also really love to not be at my, like, quote-unquote, nine-to-five job as much as I am, although I'm very thankful for it. Um, I'd like to just focus on more of the things that I really love to do. Very cool. Um, Where do you see yourself in five years? I help to be doing more voiceover work because I want to get back into doing that professionally um, and hopefully making enough money off of it. I hope to be doing podcasting and I hope to still be creating art. We are actually going to be printing out my coloring book like really soon, really cool. adding more pages. So I'm hoping that uh, that can take me somewhere as well. Um, I'd love to have a place that I feel like is a real home in the next five years. It doesn't have to be a house, yeah. but I would love to have an, at least like an apartment that I felt like this is really home for mm-hmm. me, um, and create that kind of home environment for myself. And then I would like to be making the majority of my income, if not all of my income on artistic projects in the next five years. That's a real goal for me. It's a real goal for me in the next year to make that a priority, um, whether that be podcasting or any other kind of like artistic endeavor. I feel you. That's what that would be. What's one thing you love about each other? So one thing that I love about you, and I feel like we've, we talked about this is a different answer. Okay, cool. But I feel like you know who you are and you do what you want for yourself um, without really taking into account anybody else's, like, judgment. Yeah. You know, because for me, I am always worried or concerned, even if I try not to be. It's always my first thought of how I'm going to appear to other people. Yeah. And I feel like you know yourself so well that you don't have that you don't have as much of that. Right. I as mean, I definitely I do. still will like second guess myself at times, but I feel like I'm one of those people where it's like, I like love me or don't. Yeah, yeah. I love this Dr. Seuss quote that says, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Right. And that's something for me that I've always kept with me because, like, when I do make an ass of myself, I'm like, well, 
take me or leave me. This right. is what you're getting. Like, I can't change. I've tried to change but myself. That's, that's really and cool. I can't. Yeah. And that's a difficult thing for me to do because I do, I, you know, was raised with kind of the mentality that I need to present yeah. myself in a certain way. Right. You know, so it's it's freeing to not yeah. have to do that as much. Nice. Yeah. Um, I really love Keegan's confidence and ferocity. Is it ferocity or ferocity? Ferocity. Ferocity. <laughs> like as I'm saying it, I'm like, I'm gonna say this wrong. <laughs> like that's just like a word for me that like comes to mind when I think of Keegan. And you're also like so loyal. You have so many friends, yet you're able to like give your attention to like everybody and make sure that like all of their like all of your relationships are, like, maintained and, like, healthy and lovely. And, like, your loyalty just kind of, like, stretches so far, which is something that I really admire about Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, what are your favorite colors? Yellow, turquoise, and red. I was going to say you are going to say yellow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> every answer is, like, complicated for me. I don't have a favorite <laughs> color, like, across the board. I like different things for different things. She's literally wearing just black and white. Exactly. Right like, like, her socks are black and white. Black, her pants are black and white. Black, <laughs> honestly, feels like a boring answer, but I freaking love... I love black. I love black to wear, but if you look at my apartment, I like, like, bright... Like, not bright, but, like, light colors. Like, mm-hmm. white, gold, light blue. Like, I like mm-hmm. airy colors for my apartment, Blacks and mustard yellows, I like yeah. for wearing clothes. Yeah, to you know? wear, I like wearing muted colors, but I'm a, definitely a bright colors person to look at. I would yes. never wear pink, but I love looking at pink. Right. One of those yeah. things. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of, like, different for different things. I don't have an across-the-board yeah. favorite color. Um, if you could describe the other person in one word, what would it be? One word. One word is hard. I mean, summarize Madigan in one word. I know I you would disagree. You. I know you would disagree based on what you've said about me. Well, but it's not about what I think of myself. But I think that you're very confident. I do think you're confident. I think I'm confident, but I admire your breed of confidence. Okay, then different breeds of confidence. But <laughs> if I had to say say one word, okay, two words. It's a it's a quirky confidence. Okay, that that's you are like fully that. yourself, and and confident in that. And okay. So that's what I would say. Thank you. I yeah. like that. Of course, my word for you is just fierce. Like, oh. I feel like everything you do is just Thank fierce. Thank you. Like, fierce. Thank you. But also, like, fierce in a way that, like, you do everything with, like, a passion and, like... Thank you. ...meaningfulness that that's, like, a fierce thing to me. What has been your fave episode of the podcast? This is hard for this me. This one's hard. Um, I have a few... In general, I love our Forgotten Feminist Favorites episodes because I always learn something, both on my end and from hearing Keegan's stories. Um, I wrote the topping episode. That's a typo. Topping. Oh, Topanga. Topanga. <laughs> my Auto-correct. computer was like, that's not a word. Autocorrect. Yes, um, that was I good. I loved that episode. Our coming out episode yes. like, is one of my all-time favorites. Yes. But also an episode that I could ne- that I will never forget that like will haunt me forever is the episode that we did all about Brett Kavanaugh and oh, God, yeah. the sexual abuse scandals. Yeah. That's something like that like took a toll on us. And that's some that's an episode that I'm just not gonna forget ever recording. Yeah, I would say episodes that um, had us connected to listeners. So yeah. the coming out episode was on mine because that connected us, I feel like, to our listeners in a yeah. way that that other episodes previous to that had not. Yeah. Again, the Brett Kavanaugh one because I feel like there was such a palpable, tangible feeling of hurt mm-hmm. that was happening with everybody and we yeah. were all connected because of that. And then I think one that was 
fun for me was when we did true crime because yeah. we have such an interest in that. Yeah, that was so a that fun was one. that was fun. So those would be my top three faves, I think. So Keegan, what drew you to feminism? What drew me to feminism? I'm gonna try and keep these short because we are heading on an hour right now. Oh, we're good. Um, well, it's our year anniversary. Yeah, fuck it. What drew me to feminism? I would say I didn't. I wasn't drawn to feminism until I was in my early twenties. Yeah. And it was kind of a slow burn. It was like a slow realization mm-hmm. of questioning little tiny things about the way that I saw the world. Yeah. And it was like very small things at a time. And before I knew it, I was a feminist. I can't Same. say like when it happened. It was yeah. kind of um, a really slow progression. And I think what drew me to it was realizing that all of these wonderful, powerful people in my life that I admired identified themselves that way. Yeah. And so that made me made me feel like maybe this is something I need to take a closer look at. Yeah. Maybe I need to reevaluate what feminism means to me. Yeah. Um, and define that for myself. Yeah. So that's probably it. Um, for me, I was raised by two lovely hippies, and I've always kind of stood on the progressive side, and I've always been one to kind of go against the grain when I felt like somebody was being treated wrong or that there was something unjust happening. Uh, So I feel like just from the way that I was raised, I've always kind of been raised that way. Um, But for me, I think really recovering from my eating disorder and um, getting out of an abusive relationship and kind of exploring uh, who I was kind of led me to that. Again, it was a definite, a definite like slow burn for me. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, I'm a feminist. It was just like, wow, all of these things that I really believe in are put into this word that I can like, like there's a thing that I can focus on and learn more about and have it make sense to me with the ways that I've always felt. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, who are your fave feminist icons? This was hard for me because I feel like everybody that we've talked about on the show is a feminist icon to me. Um, I've been a Anne Frank fan, which sounds weird to say, since I was really young, since I was probably like six or seven, and I've always really been gravitated toward her quirkiness and her like acceptance of herself, and I feel like she's a true feminist icon in that way. Um, learning more about Helen Keller, that wasn't one that I ever thought about, but she's really inspiring to me as a feminist. Audrey Lord, I wear her bag all the time when we mm-hmm. got her homegirl boss box. And of course, Gloria Steinem is one for me. Yeah. My car's name is Gloria. I would say a lot of feminists of color. Um yeah. Malala, of course. Yes. Is a huge one for me. I would I had a hard say... time thinking of some, so this is gonna be I help know. Me. <laughs> well, there's just so many that I know. It, it and they they did different things, mm-hmm. right? And, like, they kind of all work together. And so it's difficult to pick, like, a favorite. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, I really... Ooh, Shirley Chisholm? Exactly. Like, I really admire She's Malala. I really admire Shirley Chisholm. I really admire... Um, Michelle, Michelle Obama. Obama. Exactly. Um, so it's really hard to pinpoint. Those are a couple off the top of my head, though, that I think that I admire a lot. What are you most excited about in 2019? I am most excited about... Your wedding? My wedding. No, my wedding won't be till 2020. That's true. Um, but I am excited to plan it. Like, that's yeah. fun. But I... that's. But you know what? That's not my number one. <laughs> oh, shit. My number one thing that I'm most excited about in 2019 is taking the reins of my life mm-hmm. and deciding that, you know what? I'm going to take a leap of faith into creating yeah. stuff and taking the time that I need to be an artist. And if that means that I need to sacrifice money or, like, whatever that means from my nine to five job, then that's something that 
I need to do. Like, I just need to do that. I'm going to say ditto. Yeah. That's basically what I wrote, too. Okay, so what were your best slash worst moments of 2018? My least favorite moments of 2018 were, like, the further decline of just decency in the world that I see and in our country. Um, All the shootings we talked about, the bigotry, the racism, the lack of kindness um, that is so evident in the world, but even specifically what's been brought to my attention, like, on our Instagram page, just, like, the, like, I sometimes just can't believe that, like, yeah, I know those people the vitriol, exist, yeah. you know, but then you see it, and it's there, and, like, we've had so, we've had a few posts where it's just, like, awful and disgusting, and, like, so that was something to me that was um, a downer. Also, just, like, the fact that we've been so divided as a country, and I feel us getting more and more divided, and then everything has turned into a left and right issue, that we're no longer a united country. Right. We're very much divided. Mm-hmm. Um, the best part about this past year has been... Um, that I have a stable job, um, did not have a stable job before that at all. Um, a podcast that I'm passionate about having gotten out of a relationship that wasn't working and finding someone that really matches what I want in life. Um, and of course meeting so many people through this podcast and feeling like I've somehow made a difference in people's lives. Yeah. I would say that for me, the best things about this year is so many things. So many people at the end of the year were like, fuck 2018. And I was like, actually, 2018 for me was kind of a banner year. Like, you know, I got engaged in in 2018 and I started two podcasts that I feel like are really leading me towards an awesome and like super bright future that I feel really excited and passionate about. Um I got to be part of my best friend's wedding. We got to go to Mexico together. So I feel like 2018 was a good year in many ways. The worst parts were, um, and I guess this is good and bad, but a good part of it was I got to go to my grandpa's birthday with all of my family. And he was in a really, really good place Like when we went. That's good. But a bad thing was I had to watch his decline this year. Yeah. Which was really hard. And then um, also my cousin from that same side of the family, who was the oldest grandchild on yeah. that side of the family, uh, passed away this yeah. year as well. So I've, I, you know, I've been to two funerals back to back. Yeah. So it was... That that was hard for me. Yeah, and it's hard to just see your family when it's like that. You know, like, you, we don't get to see our families very often, so when it's two kind of tragic things that you get together with your right. family, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. Yeah, yeah. it's difficult. Um, what is one random fact about yourself that we may not know? One random fact about me that you may not know. I didn't write the answer to this one either because I don't know. <laughs> Do you have a weird, like, mole on your butt? I have two podcasts. You guys have heard everything yeah. there is to know about me at this point. Um, I don't know. You you go. I okay, know. I can make a clover with my tongue. Okay, very cool. Uh, I see it. Yes, yes. And I can put both legs behind my head. Well, there you go. I have very flexible hip flexors. Oh, well, I can tie a cherry stem with my tongue. That's right. I remember you were trying to teach me that, like, forever ago. I remember we, it was at my birthday. I think I was turning 22, and Amari was there. Yeah. And you guys tied, I have a picture somewhere where you were tying cherry stems, and I'm like, how the fuck are you doing? But I can make a clover with my tongue. So So there you go. So there you Um, go. So yeah, yeah, there you go, listeners. I can tie a cherry stem with my tongue. Love it. That's my answer. So those are all of our questions from Alicia. These next group of questions are from Emily. Okay. Any tattoos? I have 12. It's a lot. So I'm going to list my 
favorite ones and one that has to do with both of us. Two that has to do with both of us. Oh, that's right. My first one that I ever got was the lizard that I have on my rib cage that my mom has on her shoulder. It was right before I moved to LA. I wanted my mom close to my heart. So I have that over my rib cage. Um, the weirdest one I have is bite me on my butt. Um, <laughs> and then another one that means a lot to me is my pinky swear tattoo that I have on the inside of my arm because it's my hand and my best friend Katie's hand. And then Keegan and I have, have gotten two tattoos together. That's right. We both got the feminist symbol tattoos, uh, when Trump got elected and I was in a really dark place in my life when I was 19, and I was with Keegan a lot at that time. And so we went and got tattoos, and I have, if I only had the nerve, on my side. And she got Potencia Ife. Uh, Potencia Ife, yes. Did I yes. say it wrong? That's okay. Okay, I'm sorry. No, you're good. Oh, and then I also have, I have, I mean, I'm, I'm going through them right now. I have the recovery symbol on the inside of my right wrist. My mom also has it. I have the evil eye on my middle finger. I have a ring tattooed on my other middle finger. I have a really cool geometric geometric design that my friend Lindsay from Minnesota did. I have 750 on my shoulder. Did I get them all? Oh, I always forget about my my sword on my my sword, my knife that I got for like 13 bucks that looks shitty even though I've had it touched up. And then I have Kesarasara on my the inside of my left wrist, which is a song my mom always sang to me, and it reminds me that whatever will be, will be. <laughs> I think that's all of them. Well, I only have three. <laughs> um, I have I have Pacencia y Fe from Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, which was my favorite. Ever heard of him? Ever heard of him? Um, that was my favorite musical whenever I was at that age. So about 19, was, you know, 19 through 21. And it means patience and faith. And mm-hmm. I was going through a really difficult time at that time as well. Yeah. And I needed to be reminded of that. Um, and then I have the Artemis symbol, which is antlers it's and so a bow pretty. and arrow. It is is beautiful. He did a great job. So I did, um, it's antlers and a bow and arrow and a moon, the goddess of the hunt. Love it. And then I also have the feminist symbol tattooed on my wrist. Love it. Yeah, and I'm going to get another one here soon, so. Oh, I'm going to get a million. I'm yeah. covered. Do you say you're a feminist on your personal social media pages, uh, retweeting feminist things, having it in your bio, et cetera? If not, do you feel unsafe sharing this information with people in your lives? You know, this was an interesting question, and it made me question things about myself. I do not have it necessarily, like, in my bio uh, or shouted out anywhere. I've definitely, I wear feminist clothing. I don't think I make a secret of it. You post a lot of feminist stuff on Facebook. I do post feminist things. I think I'm really at a point in my life where I expended so much emotional energy after the 2016 election kind of debating people and being upset about disagreeing viewpoints and worldviews that I try not to push it so much anymore. But it's not because I'm afraid of it. It was definitely an interesting conversation with my family whenever I came out, if you will, (laughs) like as a feminist. But um, it's not something that I hide anymore at all, but it's also not something that is in my bio necessarily. But everyone knows I have this podcast, so they know. They know. I'm... My shit is everywhere. Like, I... My bio on Instagram is puppy positivity and the feminist agenda. Um, I pretty much only post... I don't go on Facebook at all really anymore, but if I'm on it, it's usually reposting some sort of feminist thing. Um, I make rants on Instagram all the time. My art is very feminist. 
Um, I'm one of those people that I want everybody to know, even if I do get backlash, because I feel like it then creates a safe space for people to have a conversation with me, and that's something that I really like. Yeah, but when asking if I feel unsafe in my life, no, I don't. If anyone is going to try and make me feel unsafe in my life, they get deleted or blocked. Bye! So, um, that's how that goes. Yep. Okay, do you think being a feminist can hurt work opportunities for those who publicly say they are one? For me... I feel like where we live, that really doesn't hurt you, uh, living in Los Angeles. But for me, if it were to hurt my work environment, I wouldn't work there. Like, yeah. I feel like that w- that's something for me that I'm, that is a, a large boundary that I have, that yeah. I need to be accepted for the person that I am. I would say that this is an interesting question because I just went on a job interview where the podcast came up because I don't know where to draw um, boundaries. Uh, in conversa- in conversating with people, I treat a job interview like I'm talking to a friend, which mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't do. Um, and when I left that job interview and I told her about the podcast I had and I was then, like, worried. Mm-hmm. I was worried that it might affect my ability to get that job because yeah. it does make me think, like... They're going to be like, oh, no, is this girl going to give us problems? Right, which is such a, like, an it's a shitty thing it's connotation sh- to have with feminism because I feel like, at least what I feel is real feminism, we're not here to cause problems. We're here for to include right. people and to make the world... But where my mind went is, like, working in, um, working in studio environments yeah. with the entertainment industry is, like, okay, if an executive, if you're working on the floor with executives at an at a studio and yeah. one of them like makes a pass at you and this girl's a feminist with a podcast maybe we shouldn't hire her you yeah, know what I mean I like I really thought about it, it that way it did I concern mean, me it, it has concerned well, me well then maybe they shouldn't make a pass at you no absolutely like I'm not saying I'm at all in the <laughs> no, wrong no no but no, no it I does know. affect your ability to it does concern it does worry me that yeah. like it could affect my ability to get hired somewhere yeah 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 Keegan, do you listen to My Favorite Murder, or are you interested in true crime? <laughs> uh, yes, I think we've addressed that. Yes, we I am. We love it. True crime is my shit. I've been obsessed with morbid shit since I was born. We've already covered podcasts. Yeah. Um, why do you think feminist is considered a dirty word for some? I think what you just said about yeah. the job is a is a really good indication of, of why it's seen as a dirty word. I think it can be very intimidating. I think that there's um, a very, like, burn your bras, second wave kind of, like... Mentality. Mentality and reputation that feminism has. Mm-hmm. And um, I personally love to make people feel kind of uncomfortable or think certain things about me being a feminist. I just get a kick out of it. Um but I, I always wear my feminist sweatshirt when I go to vote. That's my thing that I yeah. do. And I always, I, I'm wearing it with pride. I'm walking in. It's all good. And then I'm always like, shit, I don't know who I'm around. And it starts to make me feel like a target at times. Mm-hmm. Um, while I am very open about it and I want to have conversations with people, um, you're not always, especially when you're around older people, <laughs> you never really know what your reaction is going to be. And I don't want to be shunned. Right. Well, when I, when I go home, I will, you know, I don't wear, I don't bring my feminist t-shirt like when I go to Southwest Missouri because yeah. of that. Not because I'm ashamed of being a feminist, but because people have very negative connotations. I was raised with very negative connotations right. of what being a and sometimes feminist you is. don't want to educate all the time. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it can be exhausting. It can yeah. be exhausting. But to answer her question, I think... I think people have a very narrow view and they see feminism as a very, like, us versus them mentality. Very aggressive. Um, And that women are trying to destroy masculinity and trying to destroy men, and that is absolutely not the case at all. So, yeah. 
Um, what can men do as feminists to help the movement? I said that a, gr- a great thing for men is to stand up for women, especially when they're around other men. If they see something, say something. Uh, to give women equal opportunities in the workplace and in life to speak, to have their opinions be heard, just giving them equal opportunities, to make sure they feel safe by your actions and what you say in public, I think is really important, and also to speak out openly about feminist issues and women's issues. Um, I think being an advocate, that's the best way to do it, is to let the women's experience be the one that is highlighted, but also kind of pushing that Well, I think it's the same thing with any marginalized group and any ally. Like, if you're an ally, it's not your job to speak over a group that is marginalized ever. It's your job to listen and support. And I think the number one thing that you can do as a male ally um, that Madigan kind of already said is to stand up to the men around you. Yeah. Don't let their jokes pass you by. There was a meme that I'll post later that was like... It wasn't a meme. It was a tweet that was like, if you're quiet when your friend tells a rape joke, stay quiet when women say all men are the same. Yep. Because you had an opportunity mm-hmm. to not only educate, but also he is going to hear something different from you yeah. than he would hear it from me. It goes for the same, um, the same thing goes for white people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you need to talk. Racist. Yeah. Well, you need to talk to your fellow white people. Yeah. If they say something racist, they're going to hear it. Yeah. They're going to hear criticism from a fellow white person differently than they would hear it from a brown person. Exactly. Um. So I would just say for men, it's kind of the same thing. Like, yeah. You need to be the first one to stand up and say, "Hey, bro, like that's not okay." Yeah, I agree. Okay. So last question. From Grace. From Grace. How do you stay informed on a daily basis? What are your favorite websites, blogs, podcasts, etc.? I'd say for me, when I'm researching for the What's in the News episodes, I go on Jezebel a lot. What I'll do, because it's not a very reliable news source, I'll go on BuzzFeed and see what's at the top, and then I go to other articles because I see what's being talked about. Um, I also have a lot of people in my life that just send me things for us to talk about that I'm really appreciative of. I do watch the news every once in a while while I'm at work, and um, I don't know. I just try to kind of like I'll re- I'll look at CNN a lot. Um, I talk to my boyfriend a lot about current events as well, and so having that communication where both of us are looking things up is really good for me too to stay informed. Yeah. Um, so for me, if you're going to listen to again, I'll reiterate it. Daily Zeitgeist. Yeah. If you're going to listen to a podcast because you want to stay informed. Um, listen to the Daily Zeitgeist because they are a daily podcast. They're able to yep. convey information that, like, we are not always able to convey. Yeah. I get a lot of my ideas for what to talk about throughout the week through listening to what's uh, on their episodes. They also do a really good job of, which we do not do a good job of, which should be a New Year's resolution for us, of tagging all of their sources yeah. <laughs> and um, putting all of their links to articles in their show notes, yeah. which we should do. We should do that. And I will just sometimes go and look through their show notes and open up the the links there and read yeah, those articles. That's great. Also, before my radio broke in my car, um, I listened to a lot of NPR. NPR is a really good source. New York Times has a podcast called The Daily, which is if you want just, That's like, real one. good, hard-hitting journalism. Jezebel is one that I look at um, as well, especially for pop culture stuff. Yeah. And New York Times, just going on the New York Times or the Washington Post and, and seeing yeah. what's kind of, like, the top trending articles. Oh. 
<gasps> I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm I know. hungry. I'm tired. It's only like what nine. I'm gonna go make some spiral mac and cheese after this. Yeah. Oh, I know mac. Um, yeah, it's nine fifteen, and I'm ready for bed already. But um, you guys, I want to give a big thank you to how great you guys have made this year. Um, we started this hoping for exactly what we have now, and it's so nice. You know, we, we started this podcast to have a community of people where we felt safe and connected and a place that we could talk about the things that we believe in, and that's what we have begun to do. And that feels good to me. I'm very thankful. Yeah, absolutely. It's very odd that it's been a year. We've put out more than 100 episodes. If yeah. we combine both our weekly episodes with uh-huh. our What's in the News episodes. Um, and that's crazy. It's crazy that we've been able to maintain this for a year. I know. And I am, like, very grateful for this community that I feel like we have built. Yeah. Because when you're an artist, and I've been an artist for a long time, I've been an actor for a long time, doing various forms of art in different mediums, Um, it can be easy to feel like the only people supporting you are your friends and family. And knowing that we have so many listeners who we have never met yeah. that are very loyal listeners who listen all the time and, yeah. and take and the time with us so much. to reach out to us and talk to us, it means so much to us. And I yeah. want you to know that like, more than anything else... That's what's kept me doing this every week because it's not always easy. Like, sometimes it's a lot of work and sometimes I'm tired and sad and, like, I don't necessarily want to, like, get up and and read and write and write notes and things. But I do it because this podcast means that much to me. There's a a payoff to it that's unbelievable. Right. And, like... All these listeners mean so much to me. Like, Agreed. so much. So, yeah, thank I feel you. Like we've made, thank like, you. Thousands of new friends. Yeah, yeah. That's thank great. you so much. Like, it's it's beyond anything that I could have expected. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It's really. I mean, it's just amazing that what we had set out to do is actually happening. And yeah. I think that's what's really great. Totally. Totally. So, you guys, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. If you have any uh, sister solidarity stories, coming out stories, motherhood stories, or you just want to send us something, episodes idea, episode ideas, comments, whatever, you can also email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Yanf Podcast, Y-A-N-F Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. We have a business page and a group page. Go ahead and listen to us on Radio Public on your phones. It helps us out a lot. Um, also, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't already. That really, from a business standpoint, helps us out so much, and we really, really appreciate it. You will be highlighted during our Reviews Day Tuesdays on Instagram, which is fun. Yeah. So. And we hope that you enjoyed this kind of, like, different format of an episode. We yeah. know, like, <laughs> if you're new to the podcast, you're probably like, I don't care about yeah. what these girls' favorite Listen to the first are. hundred episodes, and then maybe you'll care. Um, but... <laughs> For those of you who listen every week, thank you so much, and we hope you enjoyed this Ask yeah, Me Anything. and thank you for sending in all of your questions, yes. too. We were like, oh, God, what if we get three questions? And we have so many, so it's amazing. With all of that being said and all the questions answered, we encourage you to, to rage on. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.